Today, we return to the Wayback Machine. We are going back 20 years to 2002. What was going on in 2002 in our culture, in comics, in movies, in music, in television? We are going to share. We are going to get down and dirty, and we are going to look at comic books. First, foremost, and always, it was an age where the licenses were back. There was a void, and it had to be filled by stuff we loved 20 years before that, yes, it's 20 years before 20 years. It was Transformers, it was G.I. Joe, it was Thundercats, it was Battle of the Planets. These were your top titles. Just 20 years ago, it wasn't Batman, it wasn't Superman, it wasn't the X-Men. It was Optimus Prime, it was Snake Eyes, it was Lion-O, it was freaking Lion-O, and it was G-Force. And if you've never heard of Gotcha Man, you're in for a treat today as we go back to 2002 on an all-new observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld, Rob Liefeld of the comic book world. I have made incredible characters that you have come to know and love and are on your shelves right now as Funko Pops, action figures. It's Deadpool, it's Cable, it's X-Force. It's, it's all those cool characters. I, I helped found uh, launched the very first Image comic book. Yes, Youngblood number one, April 1992, launched Image comic books along with my uh, partners who were right behind me, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri, Eric Larson, Jim Valentino, Wills Potasio. I have made so many comics. I have uh, created so many characters. I am part of this world, part of the firmament that is the comic book culture. I have watched the culture sprout and grow. I, I refer to it as a, a forest now that started as a seed that became a tree. Comic books were my thing. I, I I became passionate about them at that young age of seven years old, 1974. Fantastic Four, Avengers, Marvel Comics, DC Comics. What we do here on Rob's Observations is we talk about all the superheroes, all the comic books. They become TVs, movies, some of your favorite movies, your streaming shows, your cartoons, your anime. We talk about it all here and today. We are taking the time machine all the way back. We are back in our decade series because by hook or by crook, I came upon the year of 2002 and it fascinated me. And it was only as I came up to this mic, this beautiful microphone that my son got for me to start this journey. We are, we are closing on three years of observations. Why are you still here? Is <laughs> the question you should ask yourself. No, why am I still talking to this mic? Well, I'll tell you why. Because of incidents like the one I'm going to bring to you today that brings us to 2002, 2002, which is 20 years ago. It is 20 years ago now. We're closing the the the, the chapter on 2022. So it's really the end of this 20-year journey that we have spent together. And, and I'm telling you, 2022, can look at 2002 with some wonder, with some sense of awe, with some uh, some curiosity, but also some fam- familiarity. Some familiarity. Yes. 2002. How the heck did I get to 2002? What brought me to this peculiar place? So, I don't know where your comic books are stored in your house. I don't know if they're even in your house. Maybe they're in a storage unit. Maybe they're in their, your garage. I have a few comic books inside the house. I have one small box that's in my office at all times. It carries 
uh, what, what my wife would call soup to nuts. It's got a little bit of everything. It's got comic books from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and uh, present day. If I really take a a liking to something or or there's a uh, memory that I'm really juicing on, I will drop it into the nearby box. It's the nearby box. And keep it keep it nearby, keep it keep it for close access. Right now I know for a fact that the entire run, and this is this is very applicable to what I'm going to talk about today, the entire run of the original 1978 uh Micronauts, the the entire 12 issue, the entire first year run of the Micronauts is in that box. Explicit it, 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 incredibly uh illustrated by one Michael Golden. We have done an entire episode on this referring to Michael Golden and his incredible 12 12 issue run he's never done another 12 issue run and uh really put him on the map established him as one of the all-time greats of that era established the Micronauts as one of Marvel's most interesting intriguing best-selling books the Micronauts would go on to cross over with the X-Men and uh for a period in time a, a brief period in time they would uh, be a favorite of a generation. And so those first 12 issues, which are just stunning, and, and again, I've, get, I've done a couple of dedicated podcasts. The first, the first, uh, first year of this podcast, uh, early on, there's, uh, there's a licensing episode. And it, and it really... Uh, wow! If if you could go back and listen to that, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go and I'm gonna dial it up right now as I'm talking to you. I didn't plan on doing this. Like so much of this show, it is improvised, and I appreciate you um coming along with the ride with me. But I'm gonna go to my episodes uh, right now. I'm gonna click on that number. I'm gonna go all the way back because I'm telling you, as I live and breathe. This this episode is early on, so there's one, two, three, four. Comic book license to thrill on June twelfth, twenty twenty. Covers in depth uh, the success of the Micronauts, uh, <clears throat> along with Rom, Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, GI Joe, Transformers, Logan's Run, God- Godzilla. And Indiana Jones, you guys, that is a key. It may sound dodgy. It was 20 years ago. I was still learning how to speak into the mic. It was probably my third week doing this. And uh, so so forgive me in advance, but it's there. There's some great knowledge there. It's why I have that episode will tell you why those Micronauts issues are near and dear to me. I readdressed the Micronauts again in a uh, in an episode about comics that can't be reprinted. Uh, I think I think I call them the forbidden fruits because they can't go back to press because they cross over with too many things that n- either Marvel no longer has access to or Hasbro no longer has access to. So those issues of Micronauts and ROM and much of that Battlestar Galactica stuff is un uh it's it's it has not been collected. The Logan's run by George Perez has not been collected in an American trade paperback. So what else is in that little sort box is some Marvel two-in-ones, some Marvel team-ups from the 70s, the 80s, the Project Pe- Project Pegasus, the Serpent Crown Affair, uh, the, some of my favorites. Uh, I've got some random, you know, Iron Man issues in there, some random Fantastic Four issues, some random Legion of Superheroes. Here. So it's, it's a little bit of everything. Upstairs, I may have a small pile of comics uh, inside my dresser drawer and... and uh, 
That's just kind of, again, stuff of the moment. And I have some interview magazines. Otherwise, like so many of you, I've moved to bookshelves and I have trade paperbacks, omnibuses, uh, you know, the giant, uh, the, the, these giant absolute editions. So <clears throat> comics are well represented, but singles, single issue comics uh, are not in an abundance inside my home. But once you go to the garage and then don't even get me started on my two storage units, but in the garage, I have moved all of the stuff that I used to love as a kid closer to me. And that is my entire run of the Avengers, my entire run of the Fantastic Four, my entire run of the X-Men. And they're mylar. They're, they're, you know, I, I spent uh, part of the pandemic re-bagging and boarding all of them, and it was so great. I love to ex- access those comics in their newsprint form. I actually don't like them reprinted in trade paperback form because they're too clean. The paper's too white. That's not how I encountered them. The paper was a slightly off a cream uh, 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 hue. It was kind of an off yellow. That's what newsprint is. The ink and the lines and the color sat differently on that stuff. Uh, it's just the way that I originally interacted with them. The same goes all the way up to the 90s, guys. I don't enjoy the reprints of, let's say, Todd's Spider-Man stuff, especially the amazing stuff. My X-Force, uh, Jim's X-Men, because those were all on slightly uh, lesser paper stock. X-Force, for sure, is on slightly, uh, like almost newsprint again. I think with X-Men number one, they, 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 they gave it a nice, a bit of a bump to a nicer stock. But uh, maybe because complaints were like, wait, there's 5 million X-Force and, and you printed it on, on cheaper paper. But I liked it. I liked how the stuff looked. So I like to access that stuff. I like to access those memories. Then there's what I call my odds and ends boxes where I'll bring a box from storage and I won't realize that there's some other books in here. And, you know, next thing you know, I pulled out a gem. Well, let's go to the gems. Let's because because we got to get started on 2002 here. And, and here's the road to this. I am out in the garage the other day and I am looking through these exact same boxes that i'm telling you about i'm looking through issues of the x-men the original uncanny x-men that i fell in love with i'm looking through the avengers i'm looking through the fantasy four and there's a i have actually three different boxes with the legion of superheroes i have a lot of those books um i also have several x-men avengers boxes but there's key boxes that contain all my favorites you know basically five years each like from you know 1975 to 80 or 1976 to 81 in some of these boxes is 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 are the years that they kind of traverse and cut and carry and and, uh, and and cover. Well, in one of my odds and ends boxes that has kind of recent books, not recent books, uh, dis disconnected books from recent times. I pull out this this comic. It's Micronauts number one, but it's not the Michael Golden Micronauts number one. It's not the 1978 number one. It's the 2002 Micronauts number one got a nice dave johnson cover he's channeling uh michael golden uh baron karza who is the villain of micronauts who is very darth vader-esque uh, a croyer who was one of the standouts like the wolverine of the group he was the standout kind of fierce warrior type there's a new version of what bug was and a new version of commander ran those are Mar- bug and commander ran are marvel's creations they are their contributions to the micronauts licensed canon that, that Marvel created when they took those characters. Biotron is an inset kind of panel, and Biotron is a toy. So, so of the three toys that, 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 that Micronauts made, Baron Karza, Acroyer, and Biotron are well represented, but now they're trying to follow in the flavor of Commander Ran and Bug, standout characters in the Micronauts Marvel series, and they've got kind of stand-ins for them. You, you immediately go, oh, that guy's supposed to be Commander, and that guy is supposed to be a Bug type. Okay, well, I open it, 
And thus my portal in 2002 begins. I remember this book very clearly. I own it. It's my copy. It's fairly beat up. It's got some crinkled uh, corners. Um, I, I, I remember buying this at the comic store. I bought this at Mile High Comics in, uh, in Anaheim down when they moved their uh, store up the street from Disneyland on Harbor Boulevard. And the creative team gives it its best shot here. It is uh, The writer is Scott Worrell. The penciler is Eric Hansen. Uh, the colors are by Hi-Fi Color and Design. They're still out there. The letters are from Dreamer Design. I'm not really sure I, I recognize Dreamer Design. The publisher and the creative director behind this is a gentleman named Josh Blaylock. And that's where our journey begins. Josh Blaylock. And, well, you know what? Let me, let me read. I'll go through this. This, this Micronaut is very, um, for, for what it is, it's a nice effort. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's above pedestrian. This, this art and the storytelling is above a pedestrian effort. It has some stylistic flair. Uh, there, there's some care put into the pencils, the inks, the, the, the colors. It is, um, it is enjoyable, if not riveting. Uh, there's a there's a Jim Valentino pinup inside of the Micronauts that I I really dig because I, I like Jim's work it's 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 really nice it has a little more balls to it uh, <clears throat> the book is a little quiet but this episode isn't about the Micronauts it's about 2002 so then you make your way to the back and there's an ad for the new reissuing of the toys from Palisades Toys they're going to reissue some of the old Micronaut stuff then there's a Palisade, uh, uh, Hasbro and Palisades toy full page ad for a Snake Eyes bust from GI Joe, and uh, th- th- there's another GI Joe comic book ad here. But in the introduction, and this is what's going to tip off. So Josh Blaylock, he'll tell you who he is here. He is the president of Devils Do Publishing. Devils Do Publishing was a was a studio, a publishing arm that ran their books through Image Comics. His book is from Image Comics. <clears throat> And he says, when Devils Do made a big splash, this is Josh Blaylock's editorial. It just says editorial. It doesn't have a title to it, so I'm going right into it. When Devils Do made a big splash into the comics world last year with the G.I. Joe property, I never suspected we'd be producing Micronaut Comics only a short while later. I'd been asked about it, though, many times. Since we were handling a retro property, everyone wanted to know what other favorite childhood characters we were going to bring back. And Micronauts was one of the names I heard requested over and over again. Needless to say, I was surprised when I received the call from the owners of the property, AGE, Abrams Gentile Entertainment. Or gentle, but it's spelled Gentile, like a Gentile in the Bible. Palisades Toys was planning a relaunch of the classic Micronauts figures with all new toys to come later. Devils do, who'd made a name for themselves as a company who knew how to handle retro characters. Now, that's the second time in the same paragraph. Uh, You know, since we were handling a retro property, Everyone wanted to know what other childhood characters we were going to have. Then jump down to Devil's Do, who'd made a name for themselves, knowing how to handle retro characters, was being asked to take on comics, recreating the one-two comic book toy punch that enjoyed so much success in the late 70s, early 80s. Now, he doesn't say from Marvel, but he needs to say from Marvel there because that's important. He just says from the 70s, early 80s. He says, obviously, obviously, it wasn't simple as all that, but you get the idea. Fast forward to months later, and here we are. Due to legal reasons, this had to be an entire revamp of the Micronauts continuity, which means a fresh start for everyone. I hope you enjoyed our start to the new Micronauts. We've taken the utmost care to treat the characters with respect and to retain both the feel of the old stories and the elements of the classic toys while making it new and fresh. We want you to know. We want to know what you think. And then he asks you to write in 
and maybe uh, name the letter column, which was something that people always did going back to Marvel and DC. And he says, Josh Blaylock, president of Devil's Due Publishing. So what put them on the map was G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe launched at the end of 2001. And then by the time 2002 was going, they were a couple issues into their relaunch of G.I. Joe. Uh, The G.I. Joe book was written mostly in the beginning by Josh Blaylock, and it was penciled by a gentleman named Steve Kurth. Now, along with Scott Worrell and Eric Hansen, these are names I don't see anymore. Now, Josh is around. I'm aware of him. I've talked to Josh. I almost did a business dealing with Josh. He's very kind to me and uh, very, 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 you know, nice guy. But he was really on the scene. He was part of the new NU, the new comic book scene that was forming in, the, in, in, in 2002. G.I. Joe's launch at Image Comics was a big deal because Josh knew how to uh, dress it up. He got covers by J. Scott Campbell, who was doing covers for a bunch of Marvel books at the time and had come off of his incredible Danger Girl success. And, uh, you know, they, they, they dressed it up. But here's the key. When Dark Horse, Dark Horse had G.I. Joe prior to this, they, Dark Horse took G.I. Joe in the middle of the 90s. I know because Hasbro and Dark Horse asked me to handle the G.I. Joe uh, reboot, but I, I, I had specific ideas about what I wanted to do with G.I. Joe. Dan Frega and I, uh, just as a sidebar, went up and met with Hasbro. And the, the, the long and the short of the, re- of the story why I didn't do it is they, they showed me how they wanted to depict all the new G.I. Joe characters, and they all made them look like Cable and Domino and Shatterstar. And I said, I, I've done this book. It's called X-Force. This is not what I want to do with G.I. Joe. So I, uh, you know, I opted out. I opted out and said, this isn't the way I want to go because I, I, I had something very different in mind. Dan can tell you he was with me, but that's not today's subject. But Dark Horse did a very specific reimagining, I believe under the creative direction of whoever was the creative director of G.I. Joe and how they wanted to position the toys at the time. I even thought they called it after the fact, they didn't tell me this at the time, but I think I, it was called G.I. Joe Extreme. They didn't say this to, the, to me the day I was going up to pitch my version of what I would do with G.I. Joe as a toy and comic and even a cartoon. But G.I. Joe did not have great success under Dark Horse. It was uh, sorely missed from the Marvel stable. Marvel had had G.I. Joe for roughly 20 years. Felt like 20 years. You could say, Rob, but it was only 15 years. Great. Felt like 20 years. Crossed over into two decades, 80s, 90s. Then they had to give it up. Dark Horse got it. Dark Horse uh, took it further away from the Marvel branding, which was, you know, the cartoon branding. And, and you, you understand Marvel Studios, Marvel had an animation studio, and the animation studio is the studio that made the G.I. Joe cartoon. So Marvel and Hasbro had gone hand in hand, and G.I. Joe, in fact, had gone hand in hand for quite some time. G.I. Joe, the license is up. Josh Blaylock and his Devil's Do obtains it. Licenses are difficult to obtain, but you better keep your licensing hat on because this is going to become a familiar tune as this episode goes on because I went through every single month of 2002. I went through all 12 months. And what happens is in the void that the industry was in, and let me tell you, the 2002 comic book industry was in a void, and we'll get to that in a minute. But G.I. Joe broke out. It was really nicely dressed up, good good packaging, good covers that matters. And again, uh, a return to the Marvel form. The packaging and the covers reflected the look and the feel of the Marvel stuff going so far as to then getting Mike Zek, who had done years worth of covers at the Marvel uh, of the Marvel G.I. Joe. Uh, Blaylock wisely employs uh, Mike Zek, who does all of this crazy, uh, you know, crazy great covers. Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, Destro, 
Um, I mean, he, 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 they, they really make the G.I. Joe that you are getting at Image Comics look like the G.I. Joe from Marvel that you missed. And this clicks. Well, then he says, you know, we knew how to handle a retro property. Well, he did. But let's not get away from the fact that the property in itself is important. I can speak to this fact. I did Snake Eyes. I wanted Snake Eyes and G.I. Joe to be better received. And I knew that it wasn't going to be that hard because it has a tremendous fan base. Those characters are beloved. And so all I had to do was tweak a few things. Well, so the characters are really the more, most important part of whatever you're licensing. But then you can come along and put together a good creative team. And it felt like the G.I. Joe team that, that was honored at Image was good. And, and, and it was packaged very well. Great covers. Campbell, Mike Zek. I mean, it, it just seemed to hit all the right notes. And the fans responded. And they sold those G.I. Joes out. And they sold extremely well. And that's what opened the door then for Josh Blaylock and Devil's Due to publish through Image Comics, Micronauts which did not meet with anywhere near the same success. Micronauts, is, it's a tough property. It's not, uh, I, as I look through this book, I, I do not lay blame uh, at Josh Blake, like anything short of getting Art Adams or Michael Golden to do Micronauts. It was going to be a tough nut to crack. But by this time, G.I. Joe has blown the doors off in 2002. And <clears throat> what's, what's occurred is, the word is now going around, licensing, licensing. Did you see what happened? Did you see what happened? In 2002, I am retired. I am not drawing comic books. I am consuming comics. I'm hanging out at comic book stores. I am a young father uh, with my young wife, young mother. We are raising our two-year-old son with a second on the way. My son, uh, Chase, is about to be born in the summer of 2002. My son, Luke, is born in 2000. I took three years off. I hung up my comic book publishing, comic book producing uh, you know, aspect of myself in 2000 and did not get back into the publishing game till very late in 2003. All in all, the books that you read for me that came out in the middle of 2000, I had already produced those at early 2000. So early 2000 to 2003, again, three straight years. Even my wife goes, oh, I remember those years when you didn't do comics at all, but I was consumed with comics. Again, just like any time in my life. And I was reading about comics on the internet because the message boards and the websites had become more advanced, ooh, more advanced, Again, I mean, we look back and laugh, but they had message boards. And you go on message boards for days and discuss and argue and debate. And that was the culture of the day. But 2002, suddenly, boom, G.I. Joe works. It's a license. It's as Josh is a retro license. They get another retro license, Micronauts. At the same time, uh, Pat Lee, who used to, who got his launch at my Extreme Studios, I know Pat very well, especially in his formative years, he gets the Transformers license. So you got Transformers selling out. It's doing very well. G.I. Joe is selling out at Image. Well, now just everybody's scrambling for a license. And in no time, in no time whatsoever, by the middle of 2002, it is 1978 all over again. This is why that other podcast is a good companion to this. You have Thundercats coming out at DC Comics. Did you remember? Do you even remember that Ed McGinnis was drawing that book? Again, J. Scott Campbell covers. Okay, you know, th th these retro properties are feeding into each other, one after the other after the other. But you've got G.I. Joe, you've got Thundercats, you've got Micronauts. <clears throat> you've got Battle of the Planets. Now, if you're not familiar with Battle of the Planets, Battle of the Planets to every kid in the late 70s was their favorite cartoon. It was an import from Japan based on their anime at the time, and it was called Gotcha Man. G-A-T-C-H-A-M-A-N, Gotcha Man. Now, Jason, Seven, Zark Seven, um, just... All of Mark, Jason, Battle of the Planets, these guys were like in futuristic kind of bird design costumes. And uh, 
They were badass. The best com- the best cartoon intro ever. I will put it up against X-Men. I will put it up against G.I. Joe. The best co- cartoon intro ever. If you, uh, One night on my whatnot, I got... I just got carried away and I started You guys, I can do Battle of the Planets like like it was yesterday. Battle of the Planets, I had to watch it at 7 a.m. It was on in Southern California on like channel five, channel 11 at 7 a.m. in the morning. You had to get up early. I was there with my cereal chomping on it. It's 1978. So again, I'm 11 years old and I am loving Battle of the Planets. We did not know that it was Gotcha Man. I would learn that later. And they did all new American wraparounds with an R2-D2 looking droid called Seven Zark 7 who would intro and exit each episode. And then you'd get your kick-ass uh, Battle of the Planets featuring our, you know, five working as one. And they became a Phoenix bird at the same time that the Phoenix bird in the X-Men was blowing up. So I, I kind of want to feel like the Phoenix bird in the X-Men was probably taken from the Phoenix in Battle of the Planets, but I didn't come with that research in hand. But they both, together, the five members of Gotcha Man, or they called themselves G-Force on on the American version of this cartoon. Battle of the Planets, anybody who's seen it knows, knows, knows what I'm talking about. In the 90s, a Japanese studio did three brand new Gotcha Man episodes, kind of mini movies. And I am telling you right now, the action, the violence, the angles, the movement is, it is one of my, if not, it's in my top five all-time favorite anime, period. It is fantastic. The, the Gotcha Man of the 90s. So, so you know, they're, they're rebooting Gotcha Man overseas during the middle of the Image Comics heyday. Well, Top Cow gets the license to Battle of the Planets, and Alex Ross, one of the greatest you know, painters, comic book illustrators of all time, he, turns out, he, like Rob Liefeld, was sitting in front of his television early in the morning, you know, eating his cereal, watching his Battle of the Planets, because he loved Battle of the Planets, so he does all the covers. He does all the covers and does the, does the designs and has a, uh, has a production creative component to this Battle of the Planets reboot that Top Cow does, and it's very successful. Again, multiple covers. Mike Turner, um, I, I was just re-looking at all these. That launches in the middle of the summer. Because at the end of 2001, G.I. Joe was such a big deal. And going into 2002, G.I. Joe is, is, is trucking. It's doing extremely well. And so, Top Cow secures Battle of the Planets. Then they launch it in the summertime. And it launches to great success. And then later that summer, Thundercats launches with DC Comics, with J. Scott Campbell covers, with um, Ed McGinnis, you know, who loved the Thundercats as a kid. These are 80s nostalgia. Early 80s cartoons are blasting back in the 2000s with the same kids that grew up watching and adoring and, 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 and you know, admiring them. Pat Lee on Transformers, Josh Blaylock on, on, on G.I. Joe, Alex Ross on Battle of the Planets, Ed McGuinness on, on the Thundercats. Well, it doesn't stop there because Dark Horse has become a completely, uh, has, has put all of their success into licensing. They are giving you Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you are getting Sarah Michelle Gellar on the cover of every, they're doing photo covers of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. They have a Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic book. Joss Whedon is writing some of them. They have a Planet of the Apes. They get the Planet of the Apes license. Now, you may go, well, Marvel's doing this now. Yes, Disney bought Fox, which now makes that all Marvel's to make comic books out of, because that's the comic book arm of Disney. So you're getting Predator, you're getting Alien, you're getting Planet of the Apes, but 
The Planet of the Apes, and let me tell you right now, who was doing covers for Planet of the Apes was J. Scott Campbell. J. Scott Campbell was having a licensing moment. He was absolutely dining out, being that kid like Ed McGuinness, like Pat Lee, who grew up 1982, 83, 84, 85, and he was watching G.I. Joe Transformers Thundercats every single day. So Top Cow is blowing up with Battle of the Planets at Image Comics. Micronauts at Image Comics, G.I. Joe at Image Comics, and they are the big breakout successes of those years. They're doing the big numbers. These books are doing the big numbers. They're, they're bringing the fans in. Um, again, com- the comic book world was in a bit of a malaise. I had, to, I, I had to look up Spawn, knowing that that was one of the books that Image was continuing to publish, while Cyberforce had kind of faded away. Jim Lee had left. I had left Image Comics. You had Eric Larson on Savage Dragon, and you had Todd writing Spawn, but otherwise, all of the original titles were pretty much phased out at the time. So I know Eric is writing and drawing Savage Dragon, because that's what he does, but I thought it was the Greg Capullo era still. Well, I had to look and see, well, you know who was drawing your Spawn in 2002? It was Angel Medina. Did you remember that? Well, well, now you know. Not Greg Capullo, Angel Medina. It's the Angel Medina era of Spawn, 20 years ago. Well... G.I. Joe, Micronauts, Battle of the Planets. These are Battle of the Planets was a big, big success for Top Cow. They moved a lot. They they moved a whole lot of copies. Now, some will say, well, Top Cow was really getting into the licensing game with Tomb Raider. Yes, Tomb Raider, when they got it, you know, 16 months prior, that was a big launch. That was a very big launch, but that was also straddling. It was not only a runaway number one video game, but there was nothing really retro about it. It was of the now. This is retro licensing. Micronauts, big in 1978. G.I. Joe, big in 1983. Thundercats, big in 1983, 1984. Transformers, big in 1983, 1984. These are getting this second wind through Image Comics. And over at uh, Dark Horse, you've got Planet of the Apes. You've got Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And ironically enough, an, a, a huge 70s license that, that was at Image briefly with Todd under his umbrella, but, but Gene Simmons. Uh, took it elsewhere. He Kiss now relaunches under Dark Horse. It's it's another license period. It's another license. The the, the days of really the exploitation of of uh, like like the creator owned stuff that was going on that, that that Dark Horse was born, you know, was really born into the comic book pop culture consciousness with with Concrete and uh, and and later on with Sin City and with Next Men Hellboy. Those were not the focus anymore. The focus was on the licensing, the Buffy, the Planet of the Apes, the Kiss. But also 2002, like I said, you had G.I. Joe. They even gave it a, 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 a spinoff book by the end of 2002. I think it's called Frontline. Battle of the Planets. Thundercats at DC Comics. Everybody's getting on this. J. Scott Campbell does G.I. Joe covers. He does Thundercats covers. He does Planet of the Apes covers. I mean, this guy, you want a retro property from yesteryear to pop? You, you got J. Scott Campbell to do your cover at that time. He is the unifying, fa- he's the unifying factor during all of this. But why is the comic books industry in such a malaise? Well, many of the big 90s talents have gone to sleep. They have taken some time off. I said I had taken three years off. Mark Silvestri was not really drawing during this time. He had cycled down. Wolf's Portacio had cycled down. Jim Lee had gone into a semi-retirement mode after selling his company to DC Comics. He was not producing monthly comics. Dale Keown was not producing monthly comics. I've hit this note before as the early 2000s, but J. Scott Campbell is not doing interiors. He's just doing covers. Uh, Joe Madiera is not doing interiors anymore. Battle Chasers, that, that kind of big boom is over. So you've taken about 10 to 12 big commercial talents 
When and, and, and look, Todd McFarlane, as um, beloved as he is, was not beloved because of his writing. He was beloved because he would pencil and ink a story, which he was not at this time. So Todd isn't drawing. Jim isn't drawing. Rob isn't drawing. Wills isn't drawing. Mark Sylvester isn't drawing. J. Scott Campbell isn't drawing. Uh, uh, Joe Madd isn't drawing. Dale Keown isn't drawing. I mean, if you go down the list, you can even go to like, you really love Larry Stroman on X Factor. You bought him on Tribe. He's not drawing. There's a down cycle. And a lot of these names, a lot of these names that are in the 2002 comic books are names that are kind of, you know, uh, just they're passing by. And, And one of the things you hear time and again about Avatar, as Avatar 2 prepares to come out, the biggest argument, whenever I share my own absolute hype over Avatar, which I do regularly because I'm so excited to see it. I get people who, and you've heard this, people who snap back. It has no cultural full footprint. It has no cultural footprint. <laughs> I can't say footprint. It has no cultural footprint. There, third time, didn't stumble. It has no cultural footprint. It doesn't leave a mark. It hasn't left any uh, you know, imprint on the culture. There aren't Avatar toys and video games. And well, there's a theme park. I mean, they feel, I feel like they overlook that giant theme park in Florida that is adjacent to the, the Disney properties that people are just completely ignoring. But I get what they're saying. But let me tell you what has no cultural footprint, and that is 2002. It is a vapid cycle of comic books, despite everyone's best efforts. When you are putting out, as they were, hundreds of comic books a month and maybe one or two stand out. And the one that or two that stood out as I looked through the entire year most definitely was The Ultimates. I've sp- spoken of it before. Of all the Ultimate books, it was the most daring. It was the most kind of uh, risky. It really took the Avengers in R-rated territory with Mark's kind of over-the-top but very gritty, serious tone. And then Brian Hitch's very realistic approach to the storytelling i mean we got uh hank pym you know abusing his wife in in a violent way that we had not seen before we have steve rogers hunting down hank pym and violently kind of giving him a taste of his own medicine uh we have a more realistic approach to the avengers as a kind of you know uh global weapon of war on behalf of the united states and how intimidating they can be you've got you know Captain America strapped up with more pouches than cable and guns and and armaments. You've got a more technologically advanced, kind of more reflecting of the Apple Store Iron Man that we would see in the eventual 2008 movie. Ultimates is the home run of uh, the Marvel 2002 entries. Uh, X-Men was finding its way. It had a great auteur in the voice of Grant Morrison, but it is a lot of fill-in issues, no consecutive issues, and and some mismatched talent. Mismatched talent will always uh, fail to light a spark. A, a great writer with a mismatched artist is going to not produce the results you want. The arc that Grant Morrison starts off in, in late 2001, has Frank quietly on the first four issues, which is why it resonates so deeply. And uh, then from there, it is just hunt and peck. You got Ethan Van Skyver, you got Igor Cordy, you got John Paul Leon, you got all manner of different people coming in and taking swings at X-Men. And, and, and the other X-Men books are struggling to find their voice. They're struggling to find an identity. Uh, DC, Batman is wildly directionless. Superman is wildly directionless. The Justice League, the, the creative components, the, there, are, there are not creative teams on these books, whether they're Avengers, the Fantastic Four, that they don't have any real echo. 2002 is without a cultural imprint other than this time that 
The licenses were everything. Whether you're Dark Horse, whether you're Dreamwave, whether you're Image, whether you're Top Cow, the licenses were what was happening. What is Image Comics in 2002? It is a company that is just scratching the surface of Robert Kirkman. Other than Tech Jacket, Robert Kirkman is wildly, uh, uh, you know, unaccounted for at Image. He arrives in January of 2003 with Invincible, which begins the Robert Kirkman era, which culminates with, you know, Walking Dead and, and Invincible, that one-two punch of his that, 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 that made him a household name that then brought so many other, you know, concepts, ideas, and eventually his own production company, Skybound, which is now like a leading contributor to the image, you know, publishing catalog, the publishing menu you get each and every month. But 2002, there's no Robert Kirkman other than right at the end, he slips in with a book called Tech Jacket, but all those other months, and that's young, young, young Robert Kirkman. Robert Kirkman to me is invincible. Robert Kirkman to me is, is uh, walking dead. Robert Kirkman said, I did Battle Pope. Have you never heard of it? I've never heard of it until, you know, middle of Invincible's run, 12, 13 issues, 14, early in the in, in Invincible. I, I'm totally impressed. And he's like, well, these, I have this other book. And, and I just wasn't as into it, even when I was exposed to it. It just was my cup of tea. Walking Dead, which he convinced me you should give her, you know, this a try. I wasn't really into zombies, but I got it. It was more of a cowboy Western featuring zombies, more of a soap opera. And I love post-apocalyptic settings. And I was all in and suddenly Robert Kirkman and between Robert Kirkman's stuff and Mark Miller's stuff, my early 2000s were in a happy spot. But in 2002, again, month in, month out, you can look and you can see that it became, I mean, you know, Wizard Magazine, which I, I openly scoff at, but they did a number of different licensing covers. They did covers which it combined all of the image licenses on one cover or posters with all of the, because they recognized it too. This is like the 80s reborn. Like 1983 and 1984, we're definitely getting a second uh, up at bat with these renewed licensing products because that was that's what was working. And when you're lost and there's a void, people go to their comfort foods and these licenses were comfort foods and Buffy was a comfort food and Planet of the Apes was a was a comfort food. And Kiss for the 70s and 80s heads who loved those uh, the, 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 those characters and Gene Simmons and that band and those that music and, and the way they've been depicted in comic books since Marvel did their super specials and put the band's own blood in the ink. Yes, it was a big stunt. Kiss put their own blood in the ink of the original Marvel super special. And uh, it was, oh, you know, they went and, 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 and contributed their blood and their blood was poured into the ink. So the idea was that each and every copy of Kiss... Uh, Marvel comics that you were getting had some of the band's blood mixed into it. Great gimmick. Only Kiss could pull that off, and they did. But here they are, now back at Dark Horse, churning away. Again, the creators, I, I look at these Devil's Due books, and it's no slight to them, but I look at a lot of these books at the time, and these creators are gone. They didn't leave a mark. You want to talk about a lack of an imprint. Uh, 2002 came, 2002 went, and there was really no uh, discernible impact on the culture. Again, Batman spun its wheels. X-Men spun its wheels. Spider-Man spun its wheels. Hulk spun its wheels. It was largely directionless as people were pivoting away. When a large group of talent at, you know, leaves the stage and is not immediately replaced by others, and we've seen this in other venues, whether it's, there are years with movies that just don't stand out as much as others. People talk about 1999 being this breakthrough year in movies, and it was. 1984, it was. I mean, you, anytime you get the summer of Ghostbusters and Karate Kid and, uh, you know, all of the other, I think Gremlins is in there, that, that there's a lot going on. 
1984, 1999, just the summer alone between the Sixth Sense Matrix, you know, um, the uh, Austin Powers 2 and and uh, the Star Wars Phantom Menace. I mean, you had a lot going on and there was even more beyond, I think, American Beauties in there in that year. I mean, I think Fight Club is that fall. I mean, 99 was was flexing. 2002 is not that year, not in comics and really, uh, you know, not so much in music, as you'll see, because I'm going to share that list with you too, or maybe in movies, 2002 had a really strong showing. The the, the place where the pop culture flex was the biggest was in December. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, December of 2002 is where it all kind of comes together, but it starts in the summer. Because even if you look at 2002 and you look at some of the press and the media and some of the stuff that Marvel was positioning, they are getting you geared towards the summer release of the Spider-Man Sam Raimi movie. And that's a big deal. Part of what's going on in 2002 as well is like Marvel relaunches a new Captain America and it reflects a post 9-11. 9-11 took some time to, to set in. And I think people were reassessing what are villains in our world now? What do they look like? How do we depict them after you've got something so earth shattering as, uh, you know, the, the, the destruction, the wiping out of the World Trade Center and the attack on the Pentagon and... Uh, I mean, that was just a huge event that, that rocked the entire world, not just a nation, the entire world. So I think comic book publishers were in a reassessment. Now, my boy Frank Miller, he was finishing up his Dark Knight 2 sequel that he started in, the, in 2001. And even that the third issue completely pivots and becomes a kind of a 9-11 reassessment and invokes imagery and uh, consequences along the lines of what we experienced. Because Frank you know, uses his art to reflect where he's at, he is at any given time. That is the most kind of memorable of all of the uh, Batman books that were coming out during that period. Now, if memory serves, what you get, again, the end, the end of the year is always kind of a transition into the next year. And if, if memory serves, and I'm going to hit this real quick, I believe that 2002 uh yeah so in october of 2002 you get the first issue of hush so you start jim lee has come out of his slumber he hasn't drawn a monthly book in in years three years four years and hush starts so you can say well, rob okay that's october that's the end of the year i mean what about what about you know the other nine ten months that predate the actual arrival of that on the stands because if you think that that arrived early, that is the last week of October. So you're basically in November, the last week of October. October 24th is when Hush arrived. So you are 10 months prior to that. This, again, this, this, this very empty schedule. Again, I look through this, the Batman books, but man, there's, you know what you come across? A bunch of Buffy comics. You had Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Willow and Tara. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, trade paperback. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, number 49. I mean. The, the 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 Willow and Terra spinoff book. Again, you got Battle of the Planets. You got GI Joe. You got GI Joe Battle Files. Okay, they 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 they, they spun off uh, GI Joe Battle Files. They, they've again, you've got your you've got your Battle of the Planets comic book. You've got your Thundercats. Um, it is it is licensing after licensing after licensing. It's Planet of the Apes. Uh, kudos to Eric Larson who hit. Uh, the hundred issue mark, the hundred consecutive issue that he penciled and inked. I don't care what anyone else says. Now he's up. He's past two hundred and fifty. It's not the same. 
It's just not the same. If you are writing and drawing and inking the book, it's different than writing it. It's different than just penciling it. You're doing all of it. Eric is the is a tour de force and that he did a hundred issues all by himself. There's no there's no Angel Medina drawn Savage Dragon. And Eric, even today, I read on Facebook as I'm, you know, talking to you guys. He talked very openly how he doesn't want anybody to draw Savage Dragon on the Savage Dragon book except for him. And he doesn't want anybody writing it. He is a one-man show. Kudos to him. Forgot the other giant license that was out there the entire time. Dark Horse had it. Star Wars. I mean, it's post-Phantom Menace and walking right up to Attack of the Clones. And speaking of Attack of the Clones, we go into the top movies of 2002. And again, you know, this is really, really fascinating. You go to the top movies of 2002, and uh, you get a you get a nice glimpse. And of course, Spider Man was number one. Sam Raimi's Spider Man number one opens May third, 2002, dominates the summer. Two weeks later, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, which was received better, it was received better than Phantom Menace. It had some interesting stuff. We like Jango Fett. We liked Count Dooku. We liked seeing Yoda, you know, jump around like a ninja in a way that we'd never seen him before. Lord of the Rings. Okay, the Fellowship of the Ring launches in December. Huge. Like I said, winter, the end of 2002 uh, is very indicative of where the culture is going to pivot to. Because one month prior to Lord of the Rings, you got Harry Potter. Uh, and, 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 I mean, that franchise is starting to flex. And, uh, my big fat Greek wedding came out spring of 2002. Signs with Mel Gibson. The, the, maybe the, the end of the, the flex by M. Night following his uh, breakout success with Sixth Sense. Signs was a giant riveting. I mean, you can look back on it and think of whatever you want. But Marat Michaels and I went and saw that opening night summer. Uh, it was San Diego Comic-Con was going on that weekend. We went over to the san diego the, the theater and we stood in the line and we're a packed house and watch signs again austin powers gold member the, th- <laughs> the third movie was your number seven movie men in black two was your number eight ice age the original ice age was your number nine and die another day which uh kind of put the was 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 when you could uh could really understand that the kibosh uh, was 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 setting in on the Pierce Brosnan era. Not not quite there yet, but the kibosh was setting in. But you got Spider Man, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Big Fat Greek Wedding, Signs, Gold Member, Men in Black Two, Ice Age, Die Another Day. That's your top ten movies. That's what we were seeing. That feels like a reflection of where we are now. That truly believes. That truly reflects that. Hey, twenty years. That kind of is familiar. We just watched Lord of the Rings on Amazon. Spider Man is a constant as a movie, as a cartoon now. As we anticipate, you know, the multiverse sequel. You know, Harry Potter lives. You know, as a theme park uh, existence, both in Florida and in, and in Southern California, and as well. You know, we've got we've got the the stage play that Rowling did, and then these murmurings that it's going to come back. It's it really has never left us. Um, James Bond is still kicking it, even though this was not his strongest entry. But Spider Man, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, the top four are still resonant today. Now, what were the number one albums? Well, it was Eminem. Eminem was rocking the charts two thousand two. He was followed by Nelly. This was a very distinct time. Remember Nelly? It's getting hot in here. Avril Lavigne was making her mark. She had the number three album in America. 
The Dixie Chicks had the number four album in 2002, the entire year. The soundtrack to 8 Mile. So Eminem is number one and number five because his 8 Mile soundtrack is, is, uh, is at number five. So he has two spots in the top five, one and five. Pink is the number six album. Ashanti is the number seven album. Alan Jackson, country's own Alan Jackson is the number eight. Shania Twain has the number nine album with Up. And the soundtrack to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? is the number 10 album. Now, I mean, this top 10 feels more like the 2002 in comics that I share with you guys. It feels a little more reflective of as much as you um, can can get nostalgic with your Pink and your Ashante and your Avril Lavigne. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that they're really at the forefront. I'm not really sure they're at the forefront of your mind when you're thinking of the pop culture that you um, and the music that you were consuming back then. But we did. We, we rocketed these people to great success in the same way that we rocketed these licenses. Again, the licensing wars is what 2002 was about, and it filled a void. It filled an excitement. You went to the store. G.I. Joe's in. Thundercats in. I mean, the down, I mean, Thundercats. It had J. Scott Campbell covers. It had Ed McGinnis. You know, until I told you today, you forgot Ed McGinnis drew the Thundercats because you haven't gone deep into those books. You forgot Image Comics did Micronauts. You forgot Battle of the Planets and how big it was. I mean, literally a huge deal when Top Cow, uh, again, like Josh Blaylock, really did a good job packaging and launching that. Can I tell you a single Battle of the Planets story that was in those books? No, but I can tell you the covers. And I bought all of them. The Alex Ross stuff, the Michael Turner covers. I bought those Planet of the Apes books. I can't tell you the stories, but I, I can remember, I remember the covers. It, it's a little scary how much it resembles the twenty. 22 existence that we have the 20 years later so what was on tv in 2002 as we wrap up our our decades examination and again if if you want to if if you really want to knock on the door and go but you're missing this you know in your heart of hearts i didn't okay uh the 2001 ultimate spider-man ultimate ultimate x-men launch had had, they had occurred and they were kind of playing out the string seeing younger x-men even though it was written by mark miller it just they were it was just going through the motions. The existence of Ultimate Spider-Man was only to retell the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko stories with, you know, with, with 2002 technology, with, with Apple computers and with, um, you know, walk, uh, what were they calling? What would what, what they call the, 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 the iTunes version, the, the Apple version of Walkman. I mean, it just, it was a small, it was like, let's retell Peter Parker's history with you know, 2002 technology so he can seem hip and cool to the new audience that is going to encounter the Sam Raimi movie. But again, other than X-Men, which was trying really hard to, to, to be the greatest run of the X-Men of all time, but it did not have a John Byrne. It did not have a Paul Smith. It didn't have a Jim Lee to come alongside Grant Morrison to commit to it, to realize this is important. A lot of these books, a lot of these creators, I looked, I looked at the creative teams, a lot of these different books at the time, because I was curious and I'm not going to say their names, but so many of these people there, they are not making comics right now. And they certainly did not impact the culture then or now. 2002 is a weird year. Let me wrap this up with sharing with you what you were watching on TV in 2002. And this has a familiarity to it, but like the other lists, okay, did do you remember living in a world where CSI was number one by like a lot, by like 3 million over the number two? Yes, 17 million people were watching CSI every single week, 17 million. Friends was about to wrap up. It was it was entering the end game, entering its final years. It was definitely, you know, we still loved it. We never missed it. It was number two. 
It had 13.8 million. Joe Millionaire, does that make you feel like 2002? Does Joe Millionaire make you feel a little like 2002? Does it make you feel a little like 20 years younger? I know they tried to reboot it, like, like they tried to revisit it, I think recently, but these women all gathered to throw themselves at this would-be millionaire. And the joke was he was not a millionaire. They were faking it. ER, ER again, <clears throat> long gone, like friends in its last leg, but still picking up. And then there was American Idol which had just roared on to the pop culture scene. American Idol was the number five and number six. Its slots took up two different nights. So your top five is CSI, Friends, Joe Millionaire, ER, and the two American Idols. You round it out with Survivor, Thailand, and Survivor Amazon, because this is back when they were giving us two a year. Then you got Everybody Loves Raymond. Then you got Law & Order. And you got Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football is the great constant. It's always there. It's always there to remind us. Just like. Um, the song says it's always something there to remind us. And in that case, it is Monday night football. Dun, 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 dun. Um, don't make me do the Battle of Planets song again. I will. I will. Oh my gosh. I'm going to go watch it right after this. After I tape, I'm going to watch Seven Zark Seven and, and G-Force, okay? CSI, Friends, Joe Millionaire, ER, American Idol, Survivor, Everybody Loves Raymond, Law & Order, Monday Night Football. Boom. Those are your top shows you were watching in 2002. I read Josh Blaylock. I read his editorial. I'll go even one better. Let's wrap this up. What I said about Image not having Robert Kirkman, the weird thing is in the back, Jim Valentino, who was the publisher, he would later be um, replaced by Eric Larson uh, uh, in in, in the uh, mid-2003. Jim Valentino writes a editorial in the back and he talks about the three houses, three houses, one umbrella, understanding image comics. And he says that image central top cow productions and Todd McFarlane productions are your three arms of image comics. TMP is the home of spawn. He is the signature character of all of TMP's books. Everything is based in around the spawn verse. And under the strict supervision of spawns creator, Todd McFarlane, Todd heads a very successful toy company and his own entertainment production. With Top Cow, it's his Mark Silvestri studio. Top Cow's line is versatile, specializes in utilizing top talents, high production values. Top Cow is constantly expanding their repertoire of styles from crime to straight-up action. Top Cow has interest in other media, as can be seen by the TNT television production of their comic book, Witchblade. Image Central, while not a studio in its own right, Image is the term image central is the term used to represent the number of smaller studios who publish through image comics eric larson and his savage dragon jim valentino has his shadow line um it is also where the scheduling production finances distribution and solicitations are handled that's it that's the sort of it minimum interference allows maximum creative effort when you look at the books that were coming out in Image, they have a checklist for June 2002. Age of Bronze, Bulletproof Monk, Trade Paperback. Creeps, number four. Fathom, Trade Paperback. G.I. Joe, number six. Guardian Angel, number one. Midnight Nation, Midnight Nation, number 11. Noble Causes, number three. Powers, 21. I forgot Red Star. That's the other one. Christian Gossett, Red Star. It hit like a, like a truck. Red Star. I mean, on everybody's lips. Again, when you went to the Image Comics 
tables at Chicago in 2002 and in Wizard World in 2002. I went as a guest. I, I, I've talked about how I went undercover uh, in 2002 at Comic-Con. Gossett, Christian Gossett and his Red Star property about, uh, it's, it's kind of a Russian sci-fi fantasy. And then Josh Blaylock and his G.I. Joe, they were the big features at the table. And again, just to, they're just gone. I mean, just gone. Looking at this checklist. Then you got Savage Dragon, you got Spawn, and you got Witchblade. So you got your three most familiars there at the end. They, they list this out alphabetically. 2002 was 20 years ago. Do you feel it? Do you feel 20 years younger? <laughs> Do you feel 20 years older like me? What a strange year. It was definitely the year where the licensing took hold. And it was the licensing battles. Oh my gosh, G.I. Joe's working. I need to license Transformers. Okay, you. I've got Transformers. What do they got? Well, I'm going to go get Micronauts before anyone else takes it. Okay, well, what else is left? Thundercats. We have the rights to Thundercats. Good, Thundercats. Okay, what else? Battle of the Planets. I loved it as a kid. Okay, can we do it? Can we get Alex Ross to add something special to it? Yes, yes, we can. Dark Horse was like, let's get Buffy. Let's, let's, let's control Planet of the Apes. Let's get, our, let's, let, let's, let's get our place. Okay, Gene Simmons, kiss. Let's do it. The licensed books were what was pushing... Uh, the culture and, and, and the signature titles at each and every publisher. And, uh, and again, you were listening to Eminem, you were going to see Lord of the Rings, and you were watching CSI. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you 2002, 20 years ago, where we were at. Um, in comic books, I, I'm telling you, very little to no cultural imprint. What happens is an era tries to define itself and then you blink and the tide has rolled in and it's like a bunch of draft choices. It's like a bunch of NFL draft picks that were supposed to, you know, work out. You, 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 you pick these guys at the top of the draft or you leveraged other players and picks to get and move up. And you thought, this is the stuff, this is the stuff that's going to stick. And then six games in one year in, you realize that quarterback is not going to be that guy. That starting point guard is not going to lead me to the promised land that is a championship or even resembling a championship run but nonetheless great to examine it not every year is coming up roses and bearing all the fruit and uh as far as 2002 goes it may be your favorite year i'll let you decide but uh that is our decades 20 year look back on uh what was and what was not 2002 leading me to almost want to say 2002 where are you and there you have it 2002 in a nutshell all right hope you enjoyed the uh look back in the Wayback machine at the end of each and every one of these observations episodes i read the reviews that you guys leave for me all over the different platforms today you're going to get one an international one left on an apple australia platform isn't that cool it's super cool i i cannot tell you how much i appreciate you guys always showing support i say it each and every episode because i mean it each and every episode this show is nothing without you uh, a guy the other day uh, made a comment. I, I laughed. He said, I, I, I like your show because it has very unpredictable, peculiar uh, subject matter. And and I think what, what that is saying, because I've had it said to me by others, here's what you're not going to get with the show. You're not going to get uh, a breakdown of the latest Transformers trailer. There's 30 other people who are ready to rush to their YouTube, their, their, their microphone, and tell you, well, that Transformer was blue, and he was on a mountaintop skiing, and that... Uh, th- those people flying those dragons in Avatar, they're a different shade of blue. I-, I can see that with my own eyes. Okay, I can see that <laughs> with my own eyes. And I believe this is a new underwater species that James Cameron may be introducing. Okay, we're not going to do 
trailer reviews. We're not trying to be part of the here and now. I, I, you all get enough of that. And, uh, and, and so I appreciate that the fact that somebody thinks that I'm, uh, that, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm choosing some peculiar topics. I, I, I know the whole, the whole show sometimes feels a little scattershot, but what can I say? That's, that's me. I'm scattershot, uh, or shattershot or shatterstar. You get it. So, Hey, today, uh, and again, when you leave these reviews for me, for the show, it helps us. It helps elevate our, 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 uh, our station, our ranking, our, um, awareness on the platform. Thank you so much for listening and supporting it and sharing all your positive uh, enthusiasm and sharing it with your friends. Today's review comes from a gentleman who is from Australia. It is. Don't, don't miss out. This is from Sydney. I'm sorry. This is from Dan McKearney, 1978. Dan McClearney, McKearney. I'm going to spell it D-A-N-M-C-L-N-E-R-N-E-Y. Dan McClearney, 1978. Appreciate it so much. Uh, really just in advance, thank you. You know, he signs it, Dan from Australia. I should have just said, it's from Dan from Australia. Uh, Dan gives us five stars. He says, absolutely brilliant and insightful. He says, hi, Rob. Thank you for being global. Our hobby and passion is boundless. I listen to your podcast to relive my comic book passion from the 80s and the 90s. In Australia, we are not the heart of the Comic-Con dystopia, but we have a great community here. Your stories and perspectives are one of a kind. Thank you for doing what you do for our comic book community. Cheers, Dan from Australia. That is all I could ask for and more. Dan, thank you so much. If, If talking about comics makes you want to go seek comics, relive that passion, I'm so excited for you. Part of what I was talking about today that maybe I didn't wind up hitting, hitting the nail on was, and, and, I, and I semi-touched on it. I think Dan, what Dan's saying here is, you know, when you say you want to go back and you give a specific era, the 80s and the 90s, that's what Dan from Australia is saying that he wants to go back and revisit. I told you at the top of this hour, I go back and I revisit comics from 1975 to 1980. The sweet spot for me is 1978 to 98. That is when comics got so great. Best John Byrne I ever encountered. Best George Perez I ever encountered. Best Frank Miller I ever encountered. And uh, those inspired me. And those stories, I remember them to this day. I remember Elektra, the entire saga, her introduction, the drama. I remember Scarlet Witch being turned evil against her fellow Avengers by a, 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 you know, a wizard that we thought was a good guy in the in the Marvel comics called Modred. Uh, I remember Dark Phoenix. I remember the X-Men surviving after the volcano collapses on them, breaking through to Antarctica, going through the Savage Land, uh, fighting their way back home, meeting Moses Magnum, battling with Sunfire in Japan, going to Canada, encountering Alpha Flight. I mean, all of it. It is so rich. It is so amazing. So when I look back at three, 2002, I have not one single story. That, that resonates, that carries me there. And that's weird. That's not normal. And, uh, and I think that entire era, as I said, the tides sometimes just come in and they sweep away. I mean, a pre-Robert Kirkman image era in a post-Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee era, there was a gap there. And uh, it, it feels weird to look back and Robert's not there. So again, thank you. I'm so glad, Dan from Australia, that this drove you back to your comic book 80s and 90s. I am driven back to the stuff that I love each and every time. And you guys are always quick to tell me which era that you guys and um, ladies and gentlemen love the most. Thank you. Thank you for leaving this uh, review again when you leave them. I read them at the end of 
every episode, just like I read Dan from Australia's. In regards to social media, please find me on one of these different platforms. I'm on Twitter as Robert Liefeld. Didn't get the full name. The squatters love me. I am at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I have a blue check next to my name, which is a way to show you that I am authorized. I am, you know, I've been, uh, I've been vetted. It's, it's a way to know that you're supposed to be talking to the real person. I hope that still exists. I, I hope that goes forward. That, that is who, um, that is who uh, I am over on Twitter, over on Instagram where I have my picture diary of my life, where I'm showing you what I'm doing maybe in 1975 or maybe in 1989 or maybe in 1992 or maybe today. It's a crazy, there's no focus. It's just a crazy picture picture uh, diary of my life on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. I got the full name. I got the earlier. Cheers. Cheers to my wife for saying, you should get on this. You'll dig this. You'll like this app. I'm at Rob Liefeld. Again, blue check, verified, you know, uh, vetted. That's, that's, that's who I am. Love, love on Twitter. And on Instagram, I love talking to you guys, reading your comments, your interactions, your DMs, your messages. I get them all. I try and uh, get back to as many of you as I possibly can. It's very difficult. There's a lot, but I am doing my very best. So thank you for following me on Instagram, at Rob Liefeld, on Twitter, at Robert Liefeld. I am on an app called Whatnot. What? Not whatnot is an app. You got to download it. And then once you do, you're opening yourself up to many worlds. Last night alone, I think there was 9,000 shows going. Uh, if you want sneakers, kicks, you want apparel, you want Rolexes. They got Rolexes. They got nice watch. They got fancy stuff. They got comics, collectibles, and toys. That's where you'll find me. I'm in the comics, collectibles, and toys category. I'm Rob Liefeld. Follow me. I'm Rob Liefeld. I draw, I sketch, I remark, I sign uh, comic books exclusives. We have multiple exclusives. Ex- exclusives. We have multiple exclusives with whatnot. Spider-Man, Deadpool, uh, a Brigade exclusive. I dig them all. I'm so happy to share them with all of you. I sign them. I do. I, really, it's a customization. I try and customize each and every item. I'm on generally twice a week as the holidays come, maybe once a week, and then gone uh, probably very soon until maybe... 2023 sometime. So my last few shows are going to be up on whatnot for 2022. Follow me at Rob Liefeld for exclusive comic books, signed toys, comics, art, all of it. You'll find me there. I am talking into a live stream the entire time. It's me on camera talking to you, sharing all this stuff with you. Uh, and and I and if you want to join me, check out whatnot and uh, and head on over on Facebook. I have a group. It's called Rob Liefeld, an extreme group. Rob Liefeld, an extreme group. We share not only all the stuff that I've worked on in my career that I've created, like Deadpool or Youngblood or or, or Cable or, or, or Shatterstar and X-Force and Domino. It's anything I've worked on is fair game. Captain America, Avengers, what I mean by events in those books, uh, Onslaught, you know, I covered everything. I, I was able to do the Fantastic Four, the Avengers. Namor, Hulk. So yeah, it, it's a broad spectrum. Uh, there's there's art contests. There's a lot of sharing of of art sketches, history. I try and bring you guys inside the drawers and and past uh, pencils, inked pages, uh, concept stuff. So it's it's really fun. Join us, Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. I am a moderator, as is a gentleman named Terry Sala. S A L A. We will be the ones that click click you through when you emerge, and. Uh, submit to become part of the group so rob life and extreme group rob and and terry are your your administrators we will hopefully see you over there you know that at the end of each and every show i want to reach out i want to make sure you're doing okay
it's the holidays. It's tough. We got a lot going on. We got to get gifts for our loved ones. Um, some of us are going to be missing family members. Some of us are going to be traveling a lot and getting going to get back just in time. Some of, some of our kids are going to be in school right down to the wire. Uh, bottom line, take some time out for yourself. Be with loved ones. Be with friends. Uh, read a great comic book. You know, that's going to be my first recommendation. Watch a great movie, a streaming show. And you know, you know, I'm going to tell you, got to eat a cupcake. <laughs> got to have a candy bar. Got to have a great bag of chips. Have a slice of pizza, hamburger, whatever. Maybe it's sushi. My kids, they're bougie. They want their high-end sushi. They want their high-end ahi, tuna. Got it. Do that. Do that. Whatever it takes to take the pressure off because life is tough. That's the bottom line. Feed your emotional, your mental, your spiritual, and your physical self. Um, I try and go out of my way to do that for myself to stay uh, on the up and up and, and stay as strong and as motivated as I possibly can. You guys are the greatest audience. I am so appreciative of you. I am rooting for you. Come back around. we got a few episodes left before we wrap it up for 2022. I'm going to be here waiting. We will most positively, absolutely, conclusively talk again real soon. <laughs>